Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Uh, what I also see is oh, most people go 50-minute session, um, let's say on a Monday, and then for six days, they don't think about it. And all of a sudden, it's like, ah, oh, shoot, I got counseling today. And they go to counseling again. It's like nothing is happening between. And if nothing's happening between, we probably should stop this. And so I don't like the you know, the model where we're basically just, it's all about just the time with the counselor. Um, it's all about, to me, the time between the counseling. Hey, Rudder Nation. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut into a life worth living in the areas of your faith, your family, and your career or business. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan. And on this episode, we're going to be joined by Dr. Corey Gilbert. Now, he's a counselor, a college professor, and host of a podcast called Healing Lives. What drew me to Dr. Gilbert's work is this whole idea of, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And in a way, that is how the counseling industry operates, right? With a 50-minute counseling session, and then off you go. Good luck. Dr. Gilbert says, what if that's not working? And what if there's another way we can go about helping people heal in their lives and have the accountability needed to make a change? So he's blown up the idea of the 50-minute counseling session, and we're going to talk about that. What is the model he follows? What is the impact it has had on his clients? And we'll also talk about some added bonuses like parenting, as well as men healing from sexual trauma, and so much more. So crack open your notebook, get a pen ready. Here we go. All right. Hey, Corey, thanks for calling in from Oregon. How are you doing? Doing great. Good to be on the show. Awesome. Great to have you on here. Uh, we just finished recording for your show, Healing Lives Podcast, and uh, that was that was a really cool conversation. Uh I apologize to you because I think I told you my whole life story out of sequence because my <laughs> wife and I, with our daughter, we just watched Kaleidoscope. I don't know if you've seen that show on, uh, I think it's Netflix. So that's what we do now. Our, our kids are grown up. So we just watch, we binge watch shows with them. Well, we did that when we were raising them too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, now we met through Podmatch, I believe. Uh, our friend Alex Sanfilippo put it together. It's kind of like a podcast directory and a dating website, got together, had a baby. It's called Podmatch. Uh, and so I came to you as a guest, found out you have a show as well. And actually, you have a very powerful business slash ministry that I wanted to showcase on this show. And so uh, not only do you have a podcast called Healing Lives, uh, you've written some books. You also founded a business or a counseling service called Healing Lives. Is that right? Awesome. Yes. And, uh, and I, I noticed when I was looking at your website, that one of the things that you got out of, as far as getting out of a rut, like the, the traditional 50 minute session is out the window. And I was like, okay, I, I'm going to ask that. I didn't even tell you that before we hit record, but I, I'm already curious. Like, what does that mean? You take the traditional 50 minute session and just throw that out the window. And so what changed as far as how care is delivered through healing lives? Great question. So I've been in practice for 23 years, if you can believe that, the year 2000. I got my license and started off and really started seeing that this 50-minute session, even from the beginning, I couldn't stick to it and didn't want to stick to it. 
as in I wanted to be there as long as I needed to be there. So I would attempt to do, you know, an hour and a half or two hours, but fast forward to these last about three years since the whole pandemic stuff, uh, my average sessions are between four and six hours. Um, my goal when I sit with a client, whether it's online or whether it's in person is to we're there until we're done. And so whatever is needed and it's changed everything. Like it's, we, we get more done in, in a shorter amount of time. Um, we dig deeper because it's, if you think of the session, it's more focused on prepping for what has to get done out of the session. So that's part of it. And it's actually more than counseling. It's not even counseling. It's actually more, we yes, the coaching model, but uh, my favorite word is discipleship. Yes. It's helping grow someone into the person that I believe God's designed them to be. And so we're designing in a sense during that, you know, four or five hours, unpacking a little, but really planning. And then the executions after I go home, after I leave, um, I've also started going more into people's homes instead of um, them coming to some office. So there's a lot of ways that I've kind of just changed the whole model and I'm having a blast, not always with the topics because the topics are heavy and hard and tough, but with the results, just seeing beautiful things happen in families. That makes a lot of sense too, because I think if mm -hmm. it's a 50 minute session, I know for me, if I had to go to a 50 minute session, especially if we're going to dig deep and open some wounds mm -hmm. and make me kind of face my past so I can heal from that past, my goal is get out of there as fast as possible. How do I make the 50 minutes pass as fast as possible? But if the goal is we're staying here together until you have come to a point where you can open up and, and face the music in a sense and start the healing process, that's the time we've got. Then that changes the goal from let me get out of here as soon as possible to, well, let me solve this thing as fast as possible. Let's face this thing. And, and so I can already see just the shift in the goal for the for somebody who's the client uh, going in. It, does that seem to be the case for the folks who are coming in as well? Yes. And really, it's putting the burden of what we're doing on them versus the counselor versus me or the coach. Um, I'm not some miracle worker. They have to do the work. And so I'm the guide. I'm pointing the direction. I'm We're pointing to scripture. We're pointing direction. But in the end, they have to execute. So uh, what I also see is uh, most people go 50-minute session, um, let's say on a Monday, and then for six days, they don't think about it. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, shoot, I got counseling today. <laughs> and they go to counseling again. It's like nothing is happening between. And if nothing's happening between, we probably should stop this. And so I don't like the you know, the model where we're basically just, it's all about just the time with the counselor. Um, it's all about, to me, the time between the counseling. How does your scheduling work for something like that? Because you can't just like stack four or five people up in a day if one of them is going to run five or six hours. So how do you schedule around that? I schedule four or five hour blocks basically. And so I, and it's also on the side, I'm a full-time professor at a university is my kind of day gig. And this is my night gig, if you will. Okay. <laughs> so um, I actually see clients uh, between 9 p.m. and midnight, uh, two or three days a week. Oh, wow. Um, some weekends and just I really will work around family schedules. Um, it's being, being able to do this with couples where they don't have to leave the house. That's where Zoom has been great, where they can be at home and kids in bed and in the evening, that kind of thing. That's been really, really good. 
again, the goal is to adapt to where people are at towards their goals and helping them achieve those in the shortest amount of time possible versus I've been in therapy for three years or five years or 10 years. And it's like, that to me is not a healthy model. Right. So yeah, just keep you stuck there going to the next appointment. And and I love that. Like, because I know for a lot of folks out there, they maybe work hourly or they don't have enough paid time off saved up or their company culture is one that frowns upon you leaving the office to go take care of yourself while spouting off about wellness and taking care of yourself. And, yeah. and so, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, and so this sure. helps those who work for an organization during the day where they can't get away or they feel guilty if they leave for the day. Uh, now they can meet you in the evening. And um, and I'm assuming you, you pad your day so that uh, it's not taken away from your family because you're married. You have children as well. Um, and, and you homeschool on top of that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you tag team that. It's not like it's all Corey doing all of it. Uh, I've looked at your website. I know. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's really amazing though. You you take that model that you know doesn't seem to be working. It it just seems to be a way to collect money from people and from insurance companies. Right. And you're like, right. eh, that's not the point of this field though. This field this field is here to take care of people and help them live their best lives and, and get results. Yeah. And, and so I, I love that you say on your website that, you know, the counseling is to get the diagnosis. The coaching has more to do with like unlocking your future and, yep. and, and just, in, yeah, I mean, it, well, it, it was on your website. So I, I'm just, repeating <laughs> you. <laughs> if I sound smart, that's why. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's, I, I just, I love that. And you've said it already uh, in our conversation that you really want to help the people you work with, not just mess with the past and, and, you know, stay there. Like you don't want that at all. You want them to take care of that past so they can go and propel themselves into their future, which is totally beyond the rut because, you know, beyond the rut's not about staying in your rut and making it in a trench. It's about how do I live beyond this thing and live my fullest life? Well, a lot of people, a lot of people think that they have to go into the past to fix the past. So that's why a lot, especially men are not going to go to counseling. Yeah. Because I'm not going to go tell you what happened to me. And actually for a lot of men, like I never make the connection of these certain events that I had when I'm, I'm younger affect me today. The, the, the connection is not even there. So for them to go to counseling is, is going to be almost, you know, not at all. I think it's like 90% of clients are female. Um, so men are void there. So what do we do? We need to find a different way in to shout out, to call out men, to be the men God designed them to be and to call them up to a higher calling and a uh, one of strength. But it will involve addressing the past, but not, in, in my opinion, not in the way most people think. Again, it's not i got to share my bitter diatribes of my childhood. No, that's not the goal. It's through actually understanding how those things affect me today. That's the unlocking of the future. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I see that in myself, too, that, uh, you know, how did I cope with things growing up? Well, it was always, how do I build a better future? And, you know, what are the boundaries for that? And, and so, you know, reflecting on my life, though, you know, because there's some things in me, uh, I'm not trying to get free counseling, by the way. I'm just <laughs> sharing, for example, everybody. Um, Do it. And, and so, like, I know it. for me, like, you know, something that is kind of in me is this, like, uh, what do they call it? Not savior complex, but 
maybe it is that it's that idea of like, I've got to be vigilant and keep an eye on everybody and make sure everybody else is okay. Uh, and you know, it was kind of like that before as a kid, but then you add combat on top of that. Uh, it's like double whammy of PTSD. And now it's like, I scan the room all the time. Shopping malls are not my friend. Uh, conferences. I love them as an extrovert and I'm looking for who's the killer in the room. Um, but then, yeah, isn't that deep? Uh, <laughs> but I know that about myself. And, and uh, so it's that, that realization of like some of the things I experienced growing up uh, is why I have that sense of this duty that I need to take care of everybody at all times, even when I don't even work there. And um, just unpacking that over the years, realizing, wait, you know, there's these things called boundaries. And maybe, you know, when I'm in certain situations, I just let the people in the room do their job. And trust that they'll get it done, and I'll be okay. And in a, but know, at the same time, wouldn't isn't it something maybe that God put in men that actually this is not this is not like a childhood thing. Even yes, that, that affects us and makes it even worse. But what if it's actually God has meant in His design for men to be the protectors and men to be the vigilant and the scan, you know, the room scanners. And, and to me, that's a shout out and a call out to a lot of the men who are not, well, what's the alternative self-centered narcissist. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that actually God's design is much more that you are meant to be someone who just has a either learn or it is by natural to be a room scanner and to be a protector and to, to play out that role, which I think is a beautiful picture. Even if it's not something that comes naturally to you, it can be learned. And I think even taking the time to um, discern the things that I should take responsibility for and propel myself forward versus the things I should hold on to uh, and, and and like learning the difference between the two, like, you know, forgiving my parents that they got divorced when I was 11. You know, it's like that was something they went through. Yes. My brother and I happened to be there. Yes. Were things experienced? Yes. Can I do anything about it now in my 30s or 40s? Nope. <laughs> so, but you mentioned that you mentioned that ugly word, forgiveness. Like, actually, I call that the other f word, right? Because <laughs> that's how we treat it. It's like forgiveness. I'll give it to you only if I want to. It's like actually, no. God commanded you to. Yeah. So you forgive because God commanded you to, not because you want to. But what does it do? It opens me up. It frees me. I. A whole new world comes when I actually truly find forgiveness. I let go. And the theology around forgiveness, I think, can change the way we view that other F word. And we actually realize it's actually a good thing, a beautiful thing. Yeah. The opposite is what bitterness, right? And holding on to that, I heard somebody say, holding on to bitterness is like taking poison, hoping the other person dies. And yep, I was like, great. Yep, heard that. brilliant. I love that. <laughs> and I've, I've held on to that. It's like, that makes me sound smart every time I say it. I'm like, I didn't come up with it, come up with it. But, uh, but yeah, forgiveness though. It's like, yeah, you, you mentioned it is a commandment to forgive others. Uh, how many times, you know, seven, 70,000, uh, seven, what is it? Seven times seven, uh, it was a big number. <laughs> Whatever it was, Jesus said, it was a big number. Uh, and the point was like, you just keep forgiving every day, all day, whatever it takes forever. And, um, like it's a commandment, but at the same time, like it's it, who does it benefit? Me, exactly. Others too, but myself. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I'm not holding on to that bitterness pill anymore, right? And I'm not taking that poison you anymore. Think of, you think of that bandwidth of how much time I have or energy I have to spend. How many of us are spending so much energy um, 
in resentment, in ruminating, in remembering, in hating someone else, parents, an ex-lover, a boss, like it's not healthy. It's not it's not doing you well. It's not serving you well. And I think of so many men with the life experiences so, that so many of us have, there's probably a list of people that we actually, if we're not careful, we have our list. Yeah. Whether it's an actual piece of paper or not, we have our list. And it's like, what if, what if working on that list becomes your gateway into a whole other existence, another be- of being of your marriage, you're showing up as a, of a fa- as a father with your kids. I mean, just all of who you are. Yeah. And uh, that it's making me think about, you know, the specificity that your business has. Uh, your practice, I should say, is probably the better word to use. <laughs> uh, like healing lives is not just about having healthy family relationships. Like that's kind of the end goal, uh, healthy marriages, healthy um, yeah, family relationships. But there was something also that I, I read about on your website as far as like your specialty or like the special focus. And that was on like those who've experienced trauma, you know, sexual trauma, uh, while growing up, you know, uh, gender identity, those kinds of things. And uh, when I was learning that, I was thinking, gosh, you know, it'd be really great if we talked about, you know, those of us who are men now who probably experienced some kind of sexual trauma while they were growing up. And I don't know who out there needs to hear that. Uh, but I know in the history of beyond the rut, I don't think we've ever touched that subject but I know men that I've met in life that have experienced that. Um, and, and not just as when they were young boys, but being sexually assaulted as men um, while maybe they were in college or as you know older than that. Um, so talk, I guess, can you tell us more about that practice and why it's so important for us to find that healing from that kind of trauma? Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Well, we raise men, we, we raise boys to, to really believe that any sexual anything is a notch in your belt and is a badge of honor and, hey, I got my babysitter to do this and hey even though more often than not that babysitter was actually the perpetrator because that was an adult usually or an older person abusing using a younger but as a boy we don't see it as sexual assault you know young man in college where some unwanted sexual experience happens i have to reframe it in my brain quickly as hey look what i got to do and it even becomes a share it with the buddies that's often the culture and so what man is going to share, hey, I was actually sexually assaulted. Most are never going to go there. And I'd say most don't even think that they have that in their past. So part of it is just helping them see the truth that no, that shouldn't have happened and know that that experience actually did jade you or did shape you or did change you. Just like looking at pornography from a young age, you weren't supposed to see that. Mm-hmm. We don't see that as abuse. Well, actually it is. 
is actually the assault of those images that are a beautiful thing in the wrong context, which is pornography, then you now are shaped where you now see every other woman as a piece of meat or something, or it's it shapes you. Men on on average are not going to see that as a bad thing. They just it just is. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not God's design. It's not the best. It's not your healthiest. And so whether it was you were touched in some way or even pornography as at a young age, we're shaped by all those sexual things. And even our inside our own minds, the way that we see our own desires and lusts, um, they, they can seem to be like some monster inside that we can't seem to tame. And it's like, no, it's a part of God's design that you're to steward. Mm-hmm. But we haven't we haven't helped you to steward that. We have done an ill. You're ill-equipped to steward that because we need to talk about how God designed you and what it's meant for. Because it's actually meant to be for good. It's not a mistake. It's not an error in God's design. It's about stewardship. So when any of that's out of whack, so a babysitter touching you, a you know person across the street asking you to do some sexual favor whatever it is, um, sexual experience with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or I guess girlfriend, we're talking about boys, any of these things can become something that shapes you in a way that 20, 30, 40 years later, you're still affected by it. So let's call it what it is, which is wrong, at least, if not calling it assault or if not calling it abuse, so that we can then be set free. What I'm seeing is a lot of men who are trapped, but they don't know they're trapped, they don't understand why they they have these proclivities or have these predispositions because they don't understand their story. Their story is written and it's interpreted wrong. It's it's not it's not true. So they've twisted it around to make it fit. Hey, I'm a man, and it's like, yeah, you're actually a a, a child right now in the way you're reacting or acting. So how to help men rise up? I believe a big piece of that is facing those demons, facing those. Again, things that we even wouldn't have said were were that big of a deal or that bad. Um, and I'd say, yes, they were. And when you see it for what they are, you start seeing your life different. You start seeing your wife different. You start seeing women different. You start treating people actually with a really important word, dignity, um, that gets lost in all of that. It, it all gets tainted. Very interesting. You include that whole spectrum there, too, the... Uh, you know, I started in with the extreme and you, you included the other end of that spectrum of assault and that's the exposure to, uh, sexual content at a young age. I know I, I think I saw my first porn, um, right around the age of nine. I mean, I was army brat. So almost every soldier, um, you know, had a stash somewhere and I was at a friend's house and they found their dad's stash. And what are we watching while dad's on duty and mom's at work porn? And I was like, and I just remember thinking, what is happening? And this guy's like, well, this is what happens when a boy likes a girl. And the girls in the room are like, that's not what happens. And uh, like all of us are confused except the kid apparently. And even he's kind of confused looking back. Um, but yeah, that that had an impact on how I approached relationships. And uh, I know the show Friends kind of makes fun of that uh, in one episode uh, where uh, Joey and uh, Chandler had scrambled porn in their apartment. or oh, it was unscrambled. And so they had free pornography in their apartment for, uh, I think, a good week or so. And they started to realize after the time had gone by, like they went to a pizza restaurant and the lady didn't just throw down for them or they went to pick up dry cleaning and nothing happened with the lady there. And they're <laughs> yep. just like, do you think this has messed with our perception of what women really do? And they're like, 
maybe it has. And uh, they decided to like um, unplug the cable box or something to reset it and scramble it back up so they can never see it again. And I was like, it was funny, but at the same time, it really touched on the impact that pornography has on people's minds, especially. But, yet, around, but yeah. like even with friends, like I, I love that TV show because of the, the era that it came out and when I, I saw it. But if you look at those episodes, they were clearly having almost besides that one where they actually kind of showed almost the, the negative side. They celebrated so much stuff like that. They celebrated sleeping around. They celebrated pornography. It was normalized. And there were really key moments in the 90s of that, of just kind of, and that's what TV does now. It's pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to normalize things that are not normal. And so like, I know different shows I've seen even lately where it's like, wow, thinking of a young kid watching that right now, how much that shapes what he or she sees as normal. How many girls today really do believe that, oh, you're supposed to have sex on your first or second date. That's just normal. No, the sexual parts for marriage. And it's like we we I think we have to we need to be screaming this from the rooftops as to some of the boundaries and what's healthy and wise is probably even a better word, because so many um, are doing things because they think they're supposed to boys and girls. Um and no, they're not. Then one of the, the things happening right now in college age, 20 somethings is the amount of boys that have never been on a date, but they've had sex with five or 10 women. Mm-hmm. And so they can't even ask a girl on a date. They don't know but how they've had sex. with. And I even had a student not too long ago actually made that comment. It's like going to coffee with someone, no way having sex. Sure. Wow. Like my mind can't wrap around that, <laughs> but it's like the culture is so tainted sexuality in a way that we're really distorting for boys and girls, young men and young women, what a healthy, um, dignified way is to live. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was something that's been a shock for my wife and I, you know, raising our own kids, you know, that that thing seemed to be getting the um, what we call the CW treatment. Uh, yeah, I, I called it an ORC. Uh, you know, so things like Riverdale, uh, which took Archie comics and sexualized them uh, in, in a sense. And we watched it with our kids, but I mean, there were some conversations that we had with our kids about what we just watched because they were, they were older teenagers by then. Um, and, but it was just, it was blowing my mind though. Like the, the hyper sexualization of these characters from a comic book and uh, you know, who's watching this, who's the demographic. And it was like 12 to 18 year olds really. And I thought, wow, we're, we're like just pouring these images in. It's not just, CW. I mean, it's magazines. It's right. the Everything. internet of things. And that's and- where, for me, parents, I tell them, I challenge them. Yes, you can make the choice to not have any of that in your home and don't watch any of that stuff or watch it with them and have dialogue after dialogue after dialogue after dialogue. Talk with, you may not even want to watch it. Sit with them, talk and talk and talk, have conversations, use it as a tool to teach and learn about the real world. Yeah. But even that's not the real world. So that's what's so frustrating and scary is that isn't the real world. So what is? Well, actually, in our kids' minds, everything online is the real world. So maybe it is the real world. So we've got, we need as parents to push into some areas of of extreme discomfort to address some issues that, yeah, you may not want to, none of us want to, but this is the, 
the new world order. <laughs> we right. need to go there. <laughs> and, you know, it, it makes sense because uh, I think it's what they say. The subconscious mind doesn't really discern between fact and fiction. It's all fact. And so what you do pour into your head matters. And if you don't check it, challenge it, process it, uh, reintegrate the stuff that is supposed to stay there, it, it just takes over and you just have these knee-jerk reactions over things or, or these automatic responses that you can't really explain. And it's because you've been feeding your mind with something that you haven't really challenged or checked. And uh, yeah, I mean, watching a lot of the things that we did with our kids, you know, sometimes was awkward, uh, but I'm, I'm glad we did. Yep. And some of the conversations yep. we had, yeah. I'm glad we did. Um, like we even had to have the birds and bees talk with our son when he was in, oh man, my wife says fifth grade, I say third grade, but somewhere in that window, it was the later part of elementary school. And, and we did this because we already heard through friends that their kids had seen pornography. Um, you know, it's, yeah. And we're like, okay, these are our son's friends. So if they're seeing it at home, they're probably talking about it at school. And if all we need is just one of those kids to bring a phone into the school and our son has now seen it as well. Um, so let's talk about this with our son. And, and plus there were other questions because, you know, like our son, you know, biologically isn't my son, but other than that, he is my son. Uh, and, you know, people started to notice like, Hey, you know, Jacob doesn't look like his dad. Yeah. You know, Jacob's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and his dad, and he's taller. And, and his dad is this short guy with brown hair, brown eyes. Why is that? <laughs> and, uh, and so, Talk I mean, about it, right? yeah, Talk I mean, he looks like his there. mom a little Go bit, there. but he doesn't look like his dad. And, uh, so we were like, okay, we're going we have to, we have to explain that part. Uh, but we also got to address this other thing. And so we had that conversation with him and, um, and it, it was the look on his face was like, oh my gosh, that sounds so wrong. We're like, well, it is <laughs> like not wrong, but it is what the world is. And, uh, he was like, okay. And, uh, turns out he did get exposed to it maybe a year or two after that. And, and he had some sort of foundation to work off of. And, um, and you know, it's just, it's a challenge. It's like, what do we say? I felt awkward. Uh, we eventually just ripped the bandaid off and we had the talk. Um, our daughter was a little different. I think she liked pushing the envelope. So she welcomed all these like life lessons from us. And would even bring stuff up just to see if she could make us feel awkward. And we're like, okay, kid, nice. too smart, nice. too smart sometimes. <laughs> Some secrets, but maybe not all. <laughs> and so, uh, very open, you know, relationship with our kids as far as conversation. I think the thing for us that we had, my wife and I had to really talk about was no matter what they bring up, don't get mad at them because they brought it up. And, uh, because especially as they got older, you know, teenagers, already don't feel comfortable going to their parents for stuff. They, they get their advice from each other, which is insane, <laughs> but it's what they do. It's when what I've taught uh, human sexuality at the college level for 18 years, and I've surveyed them every year this, this whole time. And one of the things that some of my students that do research have found from the data has been most teenagers want their parents to be their primary teachers of these things. And they want to be able to go to their parents but their primary teachers are pornography, online, and friends. And it's like, so why the disconnect? Yeah. Because they want the parents to initiate. They're not going to go to their parents. They want to, but they're not going to bring it up. So to me, the disconnect, the kind of the, the, the conclusion of that is mom and dad, you need to go there. You don't wait around for your kids to bring it up. Some will, and that's great. Thank, be welcoming of that. But most will 
stay dead silent and they will go to their friends or go Google it before they'll come to you. So I call it in my book, I call it micro conversations. You need to be having these little conversations all the time, going way beyond just the talk um, and helping them navigate the terrain of, of the life that they're living and the era they're living in it, not your era where you lived it and their reality with social media and internet and phones and all the stuff that you didn't have. Um, this is the real world for them. So go there. Yes. Yeah. Meet them where they are because I mean, one of the biggest complaints I've heard kids say as we're raising our kids is that our parents don't understand us. They don't know what we're going through. And, uh, you know, in in a lot of ways we've gone through the same generation. Yeah. You know, we says every generation. Exactly. Right. Because I remember saying that about my parents when I was growing up. Oh, what do they know? And then I become an adult. I'm like, ah, they lived it too. Okay. I understand now. Can't go back in time to tell my parents they were right. But (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that was one of the things we'd also drive home with our son. Our son, between the two kids, probably the more stubborn as far as not listening to advice. And we would just drive it home. Like, look, we bring this up, not because you've done anything wrong or because you're bad. We bring it up because we've done it ourselves. And we've made our mistakes and we want you to learn from that. And I think that is something I, I love to share with other parents because we feel like we've got to be perfect parents. We've got to have the, the, the lunch is made just right. The, the, the money's got to come in. The, the cars have to be there. And it's like, be real, especially at a time in their lives. Like you've got teenagers, you said, like, I miss those years and I don't at the same time because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> uh, they were going through like those real adjustments now, like where everything we told them as a kid is now hitting the reality of the rest of the world. And so they're sorting out for themselves. What was real? What was just a cool story they told us because we were kids. I'm sorting all this out. I'm trying to become myself. I'm supposed to pick a major for college. I don't know if I even want to go to college. What am I supposed to do the rest of my life? Um, do I well, identity. Have, yeah. This is the this yeah. is the stage of figuring out my identity. It always has been. Yeah. Yet in, you know, decades and decades past, by 13, you're working the farm. So we've created this extended adolescence just culturally, which is now going on to like 30 or something oh, like wow. that. It's but, later now. <laughs> um, well, people aren't launching. People aren't you need a one of the statements I make to some parents, you need to flood the basement. Um, that kid needs to go. Um, is that a hundred percent? No. Sometimes they need a place to fall back and sometimes they need that help. But in general, flood the basement, get them out. They need to be on their own. Um, but in years past, again, by a younger age, they had more responsibility. What's, what's changed? We have lowered the expectations. Um, you're and again, families, you have young kids experiment with this. They should be doing chores. At what age? One, <laughs> two, three. Right. Doesn't matter what age. Every age that you start them as being a part of the family. And to me, God's design of mom and a dad and the family, one man and one woman, mom and dad and children, create a system of learning. Because Bob and Dad are not going to be the same. You know, any two people aren't. But. They're not going to be the same and, and they need to see that and they need to, to be able to wrestle with that. And they're going to try to pit mom and dad against each other and play those games. And mom and dad, you need to get on the same page and be a unified executive system front kind of thing. But you're raising them to help them make decisions and to know how to argue and know how to disagree with dignity, um, how to um, 
how to handle disappointment and fail. But like you said, if we have to put on that front of perfection, we have already failed because they're going to look at that and go, I can't be like them. So forget you and your God. And that's what we're, what we're seeing is they ditch everything and they're supposed to go experiment on their own. And we don't want them to do that. Yeah. Especially when they can easily just launch off the lessons we've already learned. But they, yeah, they need us to be present and to be real. And um, I think that's probably the best gift we could give our kids is, yeah, this is all of me. This is what I experienced our when I was story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as they get older and they're teenagers, you can share more details of mistakes you've made and more details of really rough seasons of your life. But the more they know about your real life, the more they're going to see you like a real person versus this uh, mom or dad that's almost superhuman and not real in, in reality because we're being fake. Um, but they can learn from us. They can learn from those things. Um, but it, it, I mean, at adolescence, not only are they struggling with identity, they know it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Parents you could so just stupid, do what man. I do, which is you can just sit at their feet and learn from them. Just kidding. <laughs> Teach me teenagers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, no, they know it all. So you're you're fighting up a an uphill battle at some at sometimes. But guess what? They're still the child. You're still the leader. And so that's another area I really see is mom and dad. No, you're still in charge. So. There are some things you need to actually say, no, this is what we're doing as a family. Yeah. Like church should yes. not be optional. That is a part of our family ethos we're going. And so that shouldn't be. And there should be other, there might be other things as a family that you see as this is a non-negotiable. And so you establish that as a, uh, as a couple uh, in that family and you're an example and you're sharing and you're being honest. And what we were talking about earlier about men and the stories they have as a dad, you're going to have stuff you can share with your kids. That's great. Your kids, thinking of your young boys, they're growing up and they're going to have stuff that's going to harm them or hurt them. So I want to prepare them for that. Prepare them for the fact that you're going to have gone to this person's house and something bad could happen. Yeah. What kind of man are you going to be? I don't care if you're 12. What kind of man are you going to be? And we're not trying to put too heavy an expectation, but we're kind of trying to say, hey, how you respond matters. And when we respond with silence and when we respond with um, with hiding stuff, that's Satan. Satan's a Satan of darkness and of lies. So I need to respond with truth, which is really hard at times. Yes. It takes a lot of humility to put it out there, too. Yes. Oh, it man. does. Oh, man. Now, I see that. Uh, now, I know your, your website is healinglives.com. Um, definitely worth checking that out. Uh, you, you heard Corey say that he does Zoom sessions. So I guess you don't have to live in Salem, Oregon to to, to get help from you. Um, and then your your first book, you, you well, one of your books you announced or kind of slipped the title in there, Going Beyond the Talk. Uh, and then I see the other cover behind you. It's I Can't Say That. Uh, tell us about those two books and um, and we'll go from there. Awesome. So my first one was I Can't Say That. That was a book I wrote for parents. Uh, there's a workbook that goes along with it um, that's separate there. And it's meant to help walk you through the, the questions of gender and sexuality from a biblical worldview and help you think. So then it's got, it's got content and scripture and then questions to help you know what you believe so that you're able to answer questions for your kids. So it's meant to help you wrestle with those things. 
Because what I'm finding is for a lot of people, we have opinion, but we actually haven't really studied or researched it. We don't know what to do in this day and age with what kids are wrestling with and um, the gender confusion stuff that's going on. And so we really default to what we just hear in the news or we hear online. And most of that's all false and it's actually all unhealthy. And I would say ungodly, it's unbiblical. So this is what it's, it's, this is for the parent. And then my second book, um, Going Beyond the Talk, that one was similar content, but it's actually for you to hand to your preteen or your teenager. Nice. So it's got the workbook at, at the end of each chapter. It's got a workbook, but it's walking through scripture, walking through um, understanding a biblical view of gender and sexuality. It looks at everything from pornography to masturbation to um, um, dating, a dating process, um, and even polyamory, which is on the rise in our world, uh, which is multiple partners. And so again, helping you think through what do you believe? One of my best reviews of the book was a, an 18 year old that said, I'm glad that he outlined this so well that it wasn't telling me what to believe, but it was helping me think for myself. I was like, yes, that's, that was my goal was to help you think for yourself and to give you some tools to do so. Yeah, because that's ultimately what we need is not what do I regurgitate in the moment, but how do I process a new situation I've never been to? And you got to have that foundation of and knowing that foundation so well that you can navigate something that looks like new territory. I love that. Um, any Before we go, any final words of wisdom? Oh, well, I'm just honored to be on your show and uh, going beyond the rut. I think to me, most most men probably percentage wise, too many men are stuck. Um, and so as we kind of talked about earlier, some of it's probably because of your past. And I would challenge you to deal with that. It does not mean going to therapy and having to share all your deep, dark secrets. That's not what it's about, but it's actually breaking free by getting the right help. And so I have a whole trauma to transform program that helps you walk through past you know, trauma and abuse. It helps you break free without ever sharing your story or ever going into that. Um, been using that for years with, with all ages, basically. Um, but also it's led into what I do is called a healing marriage is I believe God created marriage to be a husband and wife that actually complement one another and actually work together to help each other become better versions of themselves because of who they marry, because of who we married. And so um, in that, it's been a beautiful thing to see men and women who've got past trauma um, see that their spouse is actually the biggest partner in actually healing and growing in that. And so I, if, if I can serve um, my Facebook group is um, the Healing Marriage Facebook group. So you can find me just by typing Healing Marriage, a free group. And then from there, if I can book a free consult with you and talk with you, I'd be honored to help you brainstorm just kind of where you're at and where you're struggling, whether it's past trauma or it's your marriage or you're struggling with your kids when it comes to their uh, gender stuff or sexuality. Uh, that's my heart um, and my, my mission at this point in my life. Awesome. Corey, it was great to have you on here and uh, honored. And yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. If you got a lot out of this conversation, hit the share button on however you're listening to this episode right now and share it with somebody you know. Maybe share it with your social media circles and tell them this is what stood out to me. How about you? You can also check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 346. And there you'll find links to Dr. Gilbert's website, his podcast, and related Beyond the Rut episodes on mental health and healing. Now, I'm glad you joined me for this episode, and I look forward to joining you again in the next one. But until then, 
Go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.